Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nottingham Playcast. The podcast is about to begin. Please take your seats. Hello and welcome to episode four of Nottingham Playcast. My name's Elaine. And I'm Michael. Coming up today, we've got an interview with Lapel's Factory. Uh, but first, an interview with Hayley Green from Theatre Pride. You spoke to Hayley, didn't you, on your podcast debut? I did. How was it? A little bit nerve-wracking. I think you start getting really, you know, kind of self-conscious about kind of hearing your voice back. But actually, once I started talking to Hayley, she's so lovely. And the work that she's been doing with kind of Theatre Pride and Right Pride, kind of the different events throughout the week, was so amazing that you kind of got really comfortable. And um, yeah, yeah, it was a brilliant interview. Well, let's hear it then. I'm Michael Radford, Participation Administrator for Nottingham Playhouse, and I'm joined by Hayley Green, the producer of Right Pride and Theatre Pride that we're hosting here at the Nottingham Playhouse. So, Hayley, if you don't mind just giving us a quick explanation of your work and your involvement with the LGBTQ plus community here in Nottingham. I've been running a writing festival all week uh, called Write Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea was to create events for the LGBT community and for the writers within it. Uh, so we've done five days. Uh, we've done prose. That was on Monday. On Tuesday, we did film. Um, on Wednesday, we did music. Yesterday, Thursday, we did poetry. And today, of course, we've got theatre. Um, so we have done um, workshops throughout the day. Um, And then in the evening, we've had a celebration event for each day. So it's my first project with the LGBT community. Uh, Before this, um, I ran Right Minds, um, which was working with people affected by self-harm and suicide and mental health difficulties. So my work before this has been mainly with with those kind of communities. Mm. Um, So I really wanted to do something and LGBT myself I'm an LGBT poet so I really wanted to do something with that community so this is my first stab at it amazing (laughs) yeah it sounds really good so you can give us a bit of a flavor of what to expect tonight then for Theatre Pride yeah so tonight we've got um we've got four acts um performing in the Neville studio um as so we've got a a drag act called uh, Nana Mm -hmm. uh she's like an agony aunt um, She's a self-certified agony aunt, as she calls herself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she did um, sort of an online article-based uh, thing, and she's going to do it live yeah. uh, tonight with the studio audience. And we also have another drag performer uh, called Marika the Alien. That's all um, sort of performance art. So that'll be pretty cool to see. It's all, it's all a little bit different. And then we've got two scratch shows, uh, so two shows that are in production um, and they're just going to show us a little bit of a snippet so we've got a a, um, a musical that's set in a call centre mm. we've also got Queer Lady M mm. um, which is a queer take on Lady Macbeth by Shakespeare so it's gonna it's a real mix yeah uh, a real eclectic mix which um, is really what I wanted I wanted yeah. to showcase sort of lots of different types of theatre and performance mm. um, so that's what we've got yeah, it's great to have such like a diverse bunch of not only people but also performances. I think that's really important. In terms of that, in terms of kind of showcasing those different types of performance, especially in a venue like the Nottingham Playhouse, what made you think of this idea? What made you like think that it was important to be showcasing our writers and performers over this week? 
Well, because for me, um, I mean, I'm, I'm born and bred Nottingham, mm-hmm. uh, so I've been to countless Nottingham Prides. Yeah. Um, and I see a lot of different artists being showcased, um, but I've never... There has been events before where it's writers or it's poetry, but it's mm. it's sort of not been... It's not been put on the level that I want to bring it to. You know, we have we have a really great creative community here mm. and a really great um, LGBT creative community um, that I don't think get as much, in my opinion, um, space on the Day of Pride. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of events. There's a yeah. lot of performances, but it's very musicy. It's very, which is great. It's absolutely mm. fantastic. But I really wanted to to get to know the community that mm. is outside of that as well and and bring some new people in yeah. um who maybe feel that that the day of pride is maybe not for them yeah. um and that so kind of that was the idea behind mm-hmm. it sort of to spread it a little bit further as well because yeah. it's always been yeah. you know based in um Hockley or Broad Street and I really wanted to um get so we've had five different venues um involved um, so I really wanted to spread the mm. LGBT community out to the full city. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of the idea behind mm. it. Yeah, I think it's a really good platform and it's something that I personally would like to see more often. You know, it's something that maybe like happens once a month yeah. or throughout. Was that something that you would be interested in, do you think? Uh, yeah, so we're, yeah. we're talking now about how do we make this thing grow? Yeah. How, how yeah. do we get it out? How do we... So we really wanted to start with the festival sort of to launch it. Yeah. Uh, but we're really looking at creating... Um, so rather than Right Pride, the festival mm-hmm. uh, would have Right Pride, um, the LGBT writing network. Yeah. Um, which means that we can do events in all different festivals yeah. and as often or as little as we want. And we really want to get to know what does that community that we're reaching out to this week, what what, what do they want? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in talks at the minute, nothing's set in stone. Set in stone uh, but, yeah, sort of that's where we're heading with it, to, mm-hmm. to be able to just do pop-up events yeah. um, wherever in, in different venues with all those different forms. Yeah, and what are your plans for this weekend then? Is there Are there right Pride events happening this weekend? Obviously it's Pride tomorrow on Saturday, Uh what are the right pride events and what's your own plans um okay so we don't actually have a right pride event yeah uh, but we've been working with city arts mm-hmm. um and they've been doing so alongside it with i really wanted to do some visual art as well yeah. so a couple of weeks ago they ran a, a workshop and they created banners with people and flags and really got their stories and mm-hmm. and gathered them so there are four different banners at the moment i think they've been picked up today so you can yeah. no longer yeah. see them um they were uh, you had one based here at we the did. Playhouse. It, was, it was amazing it was really nice um really and we've also had one at the library there was one at the angel microbrewery um, and there was one at waterstones as well Mm -hmm. so the idea was that there were um they're small stories big picture and all those four banners are going to come together and be displayed as one full banner in the parade tomorrow um so really looking forward to that yeah um and then i'm just gonna go and relax a little bit and celebrate the week and see what other people are doing yeah um and yeah i don't really know what my plans are yet but i'll I'll be around chatting to people and and finding out you know how how the week has gone for people and yeah just having a fun pride gay old time yeah amazing (laughs) 
Um, and also in terms of tonight, you've got the, is it a Q&A session with Ricky Beadle Blair, haven't you? Yes, we have. Yeah. So how did you get in touch with him? Did you know him previously to this event? Um, no, it was uh, actually, we reached out to, I, I, re- I reached out to a mm. friend who reached out to a friend yeah. um, who was going to uh, just advertise uh, that we that we were looking for a theatre writer mm. um, and see if anybody came on board and, and it got passed to Ricky um, yeah. and he went okay I'll do it and it and it wasn't a question it wasn't like would you like to do this he was just like yes I want to do just this do so if you want me then um, you can have me yeah <laughs> that, sounds a bit, that sounds a bit wrong but you know um, it's bright <laughs> so yeah it, it was amazing really it was just like chatting to someone and then chatting to someone else and, and then yeah, Ricky came, came forward and said I'm up for that Let, let's, yeah. let's do it brilliant well thank you for the chat I know it's been a really busy day already so far right, but um, I hope it goes amazingly tonight we're all going to try and get along to see it and Great. yeah Have a lovely Pride weekend. And you. It was great to hear from Hayley about Theatre Pride. And next up, we've got an interview with Ollie and Olwyn, who work at Nottingham Playhouse, and they're going to talk to us about their theatre company, Lapel's Factory. I'm here with Ollie and Olwyn, who make up the company Lapel's Factory. You guys have been going for how long? We formed in 2014 officially. But unofficially, you've been working together since... About 2012, 2013 was the first time that we made a show together. What was the show? That was, uh, that was Cat in Hell, and that was um, a show that Ollie was lead artist on, and he got me in as a collaborator and a performer, and that's when we started working together. Mm. Um, and then since then we decided to create a company together and that's when it became more of I guess equal partnership more Mm. than um Ollie like employing me I guess (laughs) (laughs) clearly I made a very positive impression you did I've never set up a company with anybody else before That's amazing. I'm really interested in how companies form, like how partnerships form, because some people come out of university and work together, some people have worked on other projects together, but there's there's no sort of set way of doing it, is there? No, there isn't. For us, uh, it was... Um, we'd both been uh, individual artists for a number of years, um, either making our own shows or working as collaborators on other people's mm. shows. Um, and after a while, yeah, when, as Owen just said, I employed her... <laughs> Uh, to work on this um, piece in sort of 2012, 2013. I had seen her um, perform at Attenborough Arts Centre at a Hatch event uh, where she did her solo show, Fridge Logic, and I really liked what I saw and I thought she was a very charismatic performer um, and, and enjoyed her general aesthetic. And so when it came to uh, me needing to find somebody to work with on this particular piece, um, I got in touch with her and asked if she would be interested and she said, I'm going to check my diary. <laughs> like any good artist. Yeah, like any good like artist. any good artist or professional. You don't want to promise what you can't deliver. That's what I say. Which I really appreciated, absolutely. <laughs> and eventually, after uh, several sleepless nights on my part, uh, she got back to me and said, yes, uh, she, would, she would be interested in um, collaborating. Uh, so we made this piece together. Um, and it was sort of off the back of that that we um, realised we kind of clicked. And we got romantically involved during this particular project, which was. I love this. Um, this is such a great story. Yeah, it's um, and we we discussed this as well at the time as to whether or not that would be a good idea, given that we were already working together. 
Um, and is that possibly the, the most sort of terrible idea to sort of get romantically involved with someone that you're working with? And we agreed, yes, it is a terrible idea, but we did it anyway. And then, because you know, that's what human beings do. Yeah, we. Were being... And I'm a great employee. <laughs> so <laughs> it was obviously the best idea ever to have. And then we concentrated on the relationship for a short while, or not even a short while, a couple of years after that, and didn't work together. But um, I think then, when it got to sort of 2014, we were discussing then, or maybe we could work together on a more formal basis mm. and work out a way to balance sort of relationship side and the professional side um, of our intertwined lives. And that's where Lapel's Factory came from. Why is it called Lapel's Factory? Yeah, so we were looking for a company name and we kind of went through loads of different variations and we asked loads of people. But then one of the things we did was think about our inspirations. And one of our inspirations is David Lynch. We really like a lot of his work, loads Mm. of things that he's done. So actually what happened was we went through loads of quotations for different films. And I was going through quotations from Eraserhead and they had a quotation which was... Um, Henry works at Lapel's factory and we just kind of liked that as a concept and thought oh maybe we could work at Lapel's factory and then we'd have this company name that kind of encompasses that idea. We enjoyed the sort of um, slightly ominous sounding name. Yeah I mean I think it has different translations because we did check the translations in case it was something rude. (laughs) <laughs> so, which I think is always a good idea to I do. Know, I agree. If it is another language, and I think in Italian it means skin, mm-hmm. and in French it means a type of spade, and both of those things because we kind of create, I guess, things that are both humorous but also quite dark. Mm. They kind of feed into what we do as well. Later on, I found out that David Lynch had included that in the film as a reference to somewhere and someone he used to work for, which I also quite enjoyed. Yeah. So it's he is actually a person. Harry yeah. Yeah. It's this kind of daisy chaining of... Um, it was apparently a real place mm. that David Lynch worked at, which he then fictionalised in the film, and we have now, again, I saw, I guess sort of realised, but in this sort of floaty imaginary way, that yeah. the house factory is this place. I think it was a framers. Was it? Yeah. In the film or in, in, real, in life. real life? The guy owned a framer frame place for artworks. So it all so kind of comes cyclical, doesn't it, with the yeah. framing of your artwork by using a David Lynch film to frame yeah. your work. <laughs> it's, all, it's all completely planned in advance, Beth. Yeah. It's really very clever. <laughs> yeah, no, I can, I can see that. It is very clever. Tell me a bit about the kind of work that you make. Um, well, we absolutely straddle that space between theatre and live art. Mm. I would suggest we are closer, we're further on the theatre end of the spectrum, but mm. we're absolutely influenced by... Um, a lot of the aesthetics and thinking behind live art uh, in that we like things to be as real as possible. Within theatre, traditionally, you stage a play and you are pretending to be somebody that you are not and you are pretending to be somewhere that you are not. Mm. Whereas in the theatre that we make, uh, we generally are always Ollie and Alwyn, all versions of ourselves, heightened stage personas of ourselves, and we're always in the room... It's like relieved after seeing your last show that that is fake. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. It is. Like, I think it's like we kind of take on personas and we do have definite personas that work well together, mm. but they are they are heightened versions of ourselves mm. or different aspects of our personalities. But then I guess, you know, with anybody you have, you have light and dark with anybody. It's just how much you see it. So drawing on that. And it's kind of similar, I guess, to some stand-up comedians that you kind of, you would see them as a person, but obviously that's a persona, not a 
not how they are all the time. It's the theatrical version of themselves. Mm. Freddie Mercury was notoriously shy, certainly in this kind of situation where he's being interviewed. Uh, but actually, as soon as you put him on a stage, he's this big kind of yeah. sex symbol that everybody just wants to be. Um, which is absolutely the case with us. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, the other important thing with the kind of work that we make is we always are in the space with the audience. We don't ignore them. We don't pretend they're not there. Mm. We don't do this fourth wall thing. Um, it's a conversation. Mm. And even if the audience is not necessarily answering back, we're always talking uh, to them. And there's, there is space there, actually, if people sort of chip into conversations. You know, we will answer them. We will. There's space within the rules and the setup of the it's performance. It's allowed to heckle you. Well, people have done, and it's quite fun because, again, it's real. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And we're having to think on the fly with how to deal with it, and there's something quite exciting about that. There's something nice about an audience then really witnessing something that has only happened that way once mm. whereas within a sort of traditional theatre play it more or less happens exactly the same night after night mm. we have got this sort of framework that we work to but there's a little bit of slippage room and as long as we kind of hit the markers for progressing a narrative yeah. even if it's not necessarily a story narrative there's still a structure to the overall show yeah. but as long as we kind of hit you know, the important markers, how we get there is a little bit fluid. I think that allows us also to have one thing, a more natural relationship with each other, but also a more mm. natural relationship with the audience, mm. because I think it is a lot about our relationship. Like there's three people in that relationship in the theatre that we make um, and they are more active in that relationship or they're definitely more referred to. Whereas I think when you see... Um, something where the fourth mall is always intact they have a relationship with what's happening mm. but they're less it's not so much that they're less intrinsic in it but uh, they're kind of more experiencing what is happening behind that fourth wall mm. opposed to feeling directly involved I guess so tell me a little bit about Black Hat so this is a show that you've been touring for quite a long time now actually mm. sort of pockets mm. around the country um, and I love the fact that when I went to Edinburgh, you were selected as one of Vogue's top picks for Edinburgh. Yeah. Uh, fashionable theatre people. But tell us a little bit about that process, because you did work with a writer on that. We did. We worked with uh, Mafara Makabika, who has recently been at the Playhouse with uh, Shabin, mm. which has subsequently um, transferred down to London and is doing very, very well. He was writing Shabin. He's been writing that, or had been writing that for a um, good couple of years, um, when we decided that we wanted to collaborate. And that's where this show really came from, was um, a question of whether we, because we have got such different ways of approaching mm. theatre, whether it would be possible for us to work together on something and what that might look like. So he uh, is a playwright. He writes characters. He does pretend to be somewhere else. He does get people to learn a sort of prescribed set of words, mm. and we don't. Uh, but we really respect one another's way of doing things. Um, again, at a Hatch event, actually, uh, several years ago, Mafara and I did a very short scratch piece called The Review Show, um, which was looking at um, theatre criticism and was reviewing the show that it was whilst it was happening. And that, and, and that was quite good fun. Um, and it was from there that I think we really wondered whether we'd be able to um, work together on a more extended, more extended project. And so... We had a conversation of what that might look like and also what it was that audiences are really interested 
in watching at the moment and taking sort of inspiration from a lot of the really successful stuff that's been here at the Playhouse. Mm -hmm. So if you think about 1984 or Pride and Prejudice or Kite Runner, adaptation came up as something that we Mm -hmm. were kind of interested in. So we went to the library, uh, Nottingham Library, and we wondered whether there might be some sort of uh, pre-existing text that we could adapt and turn into something. And uh, the the sort of the premise of what we were going to do was he would... Well, we would choose a text together, he would take it away and turn it into probably a two-hander from Alwyn and myself, and then he gave us free reign to do what we wanted to do with it afterwards. So we did this scratch and it became apparent that the audience really enjoyed hearing the script. Um, it is a good script, so I do not blame them. Um, and it felt then a shame to kind of tear up the script as much as we had intended to do we were gonna (laughs) destroy it um we were gonna kind of play with it a lot more um but it felt right to give the audience all of the narrative that Mafaro had constructed and had written and then it became about what we put around that script Mm -hmm. um how we kind of dealt with adaptation around it um, so we haven't kept it completely the same. We did work a little bit on the script with Mafaro in terms of what the other thing, what the other components were. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also commented on the script um, during the show and tried to play with not only the kind of process of adaptation, but also, I guess, the kind of writer's voice as well and mm-hmm. kind of comment on it as performers, which I think we've done relatively successfully i think so yeah in terms of what is driving that particular piece it's um the friction between olwyn and myself on stage either in character as the two people that mafara has written or as ourselves stepping out of those characters and commenting on them and disagreeing with the way that mafara has adapted things nice so that there is then a friction between the two of us and this um absent writer Mm. And there's the friction between us as this progressively um, more dangerous couple and the audience that are in the room with us. And so there's a lot of different levels in terms of relationships and frictions um, that adds to the tension and the drama beyond just the traditional narrative, which is the adaptation of the Edgar Allan Poe story. So that's kind of the baseline. Mm -hmm. And then we're talking about digging earlier on, weren't we? Uh, if we're digging down, those are the sort of the other elements that mm. give it sort of a much more 3D um, experiential aspect, I think, for an audience. And in terms of a process, I think it was quite interesting because sometimes you really have to kind of hash out with people. You have to kind of, you have to make a decision at the end of the day. Whereas some of it, because we were doing that process within the show, we didn't, need to convince Mafara to change something because we just commented on how we might have done it differently. <laughs> um, okay. So he to could the, keep his work the same. Yeah. To the point actually though that he did want to change a couple of things that we pointed out was kind of like not necessarily a plot hole, but it's like, why have you done it like this? And he's like, you're right, and that's wrong. I need to change that. And we went, no, because we've got a scene now where we tell the audience that you've done it wrong. So <laughs> we don't want to lose that. No. Um, and that's actually where a lot of the humour comes from, is, as mm. I said, this sort of tension between us and the absent writer. And Mafaro was uh, very um, positive about allowing us to 
to sort of play with his work in that way and it was sort of a real joy to be able to work with him in that sense that's amazing he's a really mm. interesting artist very generous in how he, he is hugely generous yeah, yeah absolutely and you know I hope we get to work with him again at some point because yeah. he's a great thinker as well as well as a writer so what's coming up next for you so we've interrupted you today because you're actually rehearsing in the Neville studio today you've got a day kind of making but what are you in the process of making or hoping to make what's the future looking like uh, we have we're working on a new show mm-hmm. um, which at the moment, I don't know if it'll stay uh, this way, is called The Panic Broadcast. And in that, we're kind of taking inspiration from War of the Worlds, both the Orson Welles like, radio play and hopefully also the musical. <laughs> um, but we're not quite sure how that's going to go together yet, or even if how much of the musical we could include because of rights and things. So we'll see how we can negotiate that. And it's kind of thinking a bit about fake news, about internet myths, or I guess things that people come to believe that aren't true, Mm. but how that comes about. And we're kind of thinking about those things. Hmm. The Orson Welles um, adaptation, again, of uh, uh, War of the Worlds, um, was that famous episode where um, it was broadcast, but a lot of people sort of tuned in and thought that it was real, thought that the world was genuinely under attack by Martians. And we found there's something really interesting in that fracture between reality and fantasy. And that's Mm -hmm. something that we always enjoy playing with, is like what is real and what is not real Mm -hmm. um, within the room that we are in with our audience. Um, And we really wanted to play with that. And as I mentioned earlier on, sort of uh, urban legends and um, creepypastas on the internet and where they... Uh, have come from or the fact that they start out as a fiction but people start to believe them as reality and it feels very prescient at the moment with as Owen mentioned you know alternative facts and fake news and the sort of Mm. general mass hysteria around information and the way that we process information at the moment so that is the territory that we're working on at the moment for for this particular piece. Ali and Owen thank you so much for coming in today and talking to us about Lapel's Pratchery and we're really looking forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That was really interesting. It was. It was really nice to hear about Ollie and Olwyn and their company. You see these people every day at work and you don't realise what they do outside of that. And it's great to hear about it and it just further highlights the wealth of talent that already exists within the staff in the building. That's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.